This is Cruise Radio. If this whole thing we're going through right now has taught us anything, it is to always have travel insurance. Get a quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of Carnival Sunrise. Sherry Laskin is here with Cruise News. Hey, Sherry. Hey, Doug. So a Carnival Cruise Line ship has reportedly been sold to a scrapyard. Yep. So it looks like it's the end of the line for Carnival Fantasy. Launched in 1990, this 30-year-old ship was the first of eight Fantasy-class ships for Carnival. And from what we know, Carnival Fantasy was last seen unloading equipment in Curaçao and is now heading towards Izmir, Turkey and their local scrapyard. Carnival Fantasy is now the third ship unloaded by Carnival Corporation. And just in minutes ago, Holland America Line announced, get this, that Amsterdam, Mazdam, Rotterdam, and Vingendam will be leaving the fleet and transferring to undisclosed buyers. We don't know any more information than that at this time, but that's really sad. Well, first off, Fantasy was my very first cruise in the mid-90s. So we're talking yeah. like 20-something years ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, when a, when a ship goes to Turkey, it's normally not for a dry dock. I mean, that's like the, the world's leading ship-breaking yard there. And then this Holland America announcement, that just four ships all at once announced, that's, and that's just incredible. So that's a total now of what we're going to have, what, like 11 ships from Carnival Corp? Yes, so Arnold Donald said in the conference call, the uh, CEO of uh, Carnival Corp, last Friday that we'll see 13 ships total. Wow. And it looks like Key West wants to limit cruise ships. Yeah, pretty much. So it's officially on the November ballot based on 2,500 signatures of a required 1,000 for the vote. The organization that started this all is called the Key West Committee for Safe Cleaner Ships wants to greatly restrict certain cruise ships from being allowed to dock at Key West. They also want to limit the amount of cruise passengers permitted to disembark. So according to figures from the Key West Committee, cruise ship passengers spend about $32 per person in Key West, but land-based tourists average about $550 per person. And by their calculation, cruise ship passengers make up 50% of all tourists in Key West but only 8% of all tourist spending. So the requirements to dock in Key West would include the number of people disembarking from cruise ships could not exceed more than 1,500 people per day. If cruise ships have the capacity to carry 1,300 or more, including passengers and crew, it just can't dock. And the city of Key West is going to give priority to cruise ships and cruise lines that have the best environmental and health records. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens this November when the votes are counted. You know, you you see this a lot, though. Remember how the people in Charleston, they didn't want ships there because they were an eyesore. And then they tried to say that there were too many people. Then they said about the pollution. It's like they try to use all these different angles, but I'm pretty sure the business owners in Key West down there on Duval Street and Margaret and all that, they probably have a different tune. And they do, and that's really true because it's usually the Chamber of Commerce in the cities Mm -hmm. that is the most vocal about keeping the cruise ships coming in. So, yeah, they they play a big role with all the local businesses to uh, 
keep the dollars flowing. So I guess we'll find out in November. And a Florida-based cruise line has extended their cruise suspension. Yeah, well, all I can say is, Kel surprise, it mm-hmm. was bound to happen. And in light of new travel restrictions issued by the Bahamas and a spike in COVID-19 cases, Florida-based Bahamas Paradise Cruise Line has extended their startup date. Originally, the cruise line announced they'd resume cruises on July 25th. The cruise line now plans to begin cruising on August 28th. Bahamas Paradise Cruise Line operates only two ships from the port of Palm Beach, Florida, and offers two night cruises to Grand Bahama Island and Nassau. They have that old, what, carnival celebration in the, was it the Neo Classica from Costa they have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And our last story here, a Caribbean island is making it mandatory for not just some, but all visitors to wear masks. Yeah, and this is St. Martin, and they're ready to welcome visitors again, provided they adhere to the island nation's rules. This includes mandatory mask wearing at all times. The Ministry of Health guidelines state that in addition to wearing a mask, you must also follow social distancing and, of course, avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Plus, everyone over the age of 10 must have a PCR test taken no more than 72 hours prior to the day of travel, with, of course, showing negative results. And the PCR test works by detecting viral RNA, which is present before symptoms or even antibodies are present. At this time, the island is open to tourists from everywhere else in the world, except, of course, the United States. However, St. Martin is preparing to welcome Americans beginning August 1st, but as you might expect, the welcome mat could be yanked at any time. Wow. So it seems like, I mean, you guys in Alaska are requiring a test, right? Yeah. If you want to come up here to fly up, because obviously there's no cruising, um, you have to have a, a test done 72 hours prior to departure uh, en route to Alaska. If you don't do that, you get tested at the airport and then you have to self-quarantine until results come in, which up here now is taking somewhere between seven and 10 days to get results back. They're doing some of the, um, if you're sick and go to the hospital, you can get the quick 15 minute test results, but otherwise it's, there's a lag time in there. So, um, that's just the way it is. If you have a private yacht and you're coming up to Alaska, there seems to be, you know, ways around this, but I'm just, I'm reading about that today because apparently Peyton Manning is in his private yacht (laughs) traveling through Alaska right now. Okay. Interesting. So the, my past tests have been the finger prick test, and the last one was the the nose swab, oh. and that hurt worse than a root canal. Like oh. they stick it up there until they find resistance, and they twist the sw- uh, the swab. <laughs> you can feel it. Like I thought they were touching the back of my eyeball or the brain. Now it was a, it was a, a rapid test, right? So I had the results in ten to fifteen minutes, and it was negative. But uh, gosh, it was painful. It sounds like it. Yeah, they're doing ones here now, um, the ones that take uh, 8 to 14 days to get the results that Mm -hmm. you self-swab. So, you know, I guess maybe that, I don't know, which is more accurate. Who knows, right? 
Yeah, you would think that the self-swabs probably wouldn't be the best if they have it, you know, sticking it up your nose because you have to know what you're doing, right? But because <laughs> you could pull it out the first sign of pain. But anyway, <laughs> this isn't a medical show. So listen, our question comes from Steve. Where do all the added taxes and fees go when you buy a cruise? Sometimes they are 25% of the cruise fare. Steve, um, that's a really good question and something we've talked about forever, it seems like. But I'm going to go with your suggestion that taxes and port fees make up about 25% of your cruise fare. It might be a little bit less, but we'll use a nice round number. And then let's say your cruise will visit four ports. So almost every port charges a per passenger fee or simply called a head tax. So if your cruise costs $2,000 and we're just rounding numbers with $500 as taxes and fees, just for simplicity's sake, I'll say that each of the four ports will receive about $125 per passenger. But the port isn't actually collecting all that much money per person. And, and uh, being up here in Alaska, I'll use Juneau as an example. So for every cruise passenger aboard a ship that docks in Juneau, the cruise line will pay roughly $40 total. Two small portions or several small portions of that will go to different city taxes um, in Juneau, it's about $14, $15 of that roughly $40 total. Then the state of Alaska last year collected $34.50 per person. Of that money, the state paid $5 back to Juneau. And head tax money is supposed to go to directly maintain city facilities that the tour cruise tourists are going to use. You know, that can be from adding more police, maintaining public restrooms near the port, dockage improvements, and in the case of Juno, that even helps uh, to fund crossing guards downtown. Because as you know, Doug, trying to cross from the port. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's crazy. And as for other fees, which used to be called port charges, the cruise lines keep that portion of the fund eh, it's pretty much under wraps. But that money is used to cover port expenses like paying the harbor pilots, port security, dockage costs, and even the embarkation staff. So it's complicated, but you're right. Um, it does make up a huge chunk of your cruise, and it can come quite as a, a, come as quite a shock if it's your first cruise and you're seeing, you know, twenty to twenty five percent of the of the charges are for fees and taxes. I'm working on a piece right now, and just some numbers to pull out of the air. They're just estimates, but just for the harbor pilot in Port Miami, it's six thousand dollars each way. So six thousand inbound and six thousand outbound. As far as docking fees per day, you're looking at around close to $10,000 per ship. And then you think of the extra stuff like customs agents at a per hour fee or the line handlers that require a minimum of four hours each line handler you have because they're union. All these a la carte features uh, or fees, I should say, that you don't even really think about, but it adds up to be close to $100,000 per ship. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It, you know, you wonder where it's going and there it is. Mm-hmm. All right, we've been talking with Sherry Laskin from CruiseMaven.com. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks, Doug. If you have an Amazon Alexa-enabled device, ask her to enable the Cruise Radio News Skill so you can get daily updates anytime. Straight from Cruise Radio. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. 
How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Check out our blog, the video page, and interact at cruiseradio.net. A few months ago, Richard went on a seven-night Canada-New England cruise aboard Carnival Sunrise out of New York City, and he joins us on the line. Hey, man. Hey there. How are you? Good. Now, you live in the New York City area, but I still want to get some pre-cruise thoughts because you don't really travel outside of that region to cruise, do you? I don't. I, I have never gone out of any port other than the port in Midtown Manhattan and the one in Bayonne, New Jersey. I am next year in 2021. I'm breaking my own rule because I really, really, really want to sail on Carnival Mardi Gras. So I am going to go down and uh, do a cruise on that, which means I'll have to fly somewhere. But usually I, I like to just, you know, it's so much easier to just get on a ship in your backyard and go. With cruising out of just that region, though, are you just trying to avoid, you know, the plane, the hotel, the transportation logistics? I really am. It's not that I mind flying. I actually like flying, or at least I did before all this madness. Mm -hmm. I just, for me, um, airports are, I've said this before, airports are where fun goes to die. And so if I can avoid um, getting off the most amazing, you know, having a great week at sea and then having to go immediately to the airport and deal with all that, I just as soon avoid it. So why not sail out of my own backyard? The only downside to that is, especially if you're only doing a week long cruise, it does limit where you can go. Basically, I go to the Bahamas or Bermuda. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. Or in this case, you can actually go north to the Canada, New England. Uh, so you had to leave out of Brooklyn on this cruise. Is that a little more, is that more difficult to get to than just going to like the Manhattan cruise terminal? It definitely is. And when I booked this cruise, it, it was actually leaving out of Manhattan. But uh, I think there was construction going on at the pier. So they moved it to the Bayonne, New Jersey facility. And that is more difficult. Plus, there was also the added benefit of um, there was marathons and things going on in the area. So, And there was construction going on. So it really was kind of a pain in the butt to get there. But, you know, it was a little more difficult than usual. But that's okay. So you make your way to the cruise terminal in Brooklyn. How was embarkation? Embarkation was pretty easy. Um, they they did a really good job in Bayonne. It was at least as smooth as my embarkations in Manhattan usually are. Uh, this was I'd only done one other embarkation with Carnival. Um, I did Carnival this this same itinerary actually going going north on the Carnival Sunshine a few years before this. So this was only my second time doing it, and both times I thought Carnival was really well organized, and uh, you know we got on the ship pretty quickly. You make your way on board the ship. Uh, so this ship was transformed from Carnival Triumph. Uh, what were your first impressions once you boarded Sunrise? Wow. You know, the, the thing that Carnival does with a lot of their ships, including this one, is that you when you enter, you immediately walk into the atrium. So, you know, that's just to be greeted by that, which is one of my favorite spaces. I love atriums. It, it just makes a really great first impression. There's a band playing, you know, everybody's having drinks. You've got those Willy Wonka like elevators going up and down. So it makes a really, really nice first impression. 
And what kind of stateroom did you book on this seven-night cruise? I had an aft-facing balcony. Whenever I can afford it, I do that. I've been doing a little less of it lately because I've been trying to save some money, figuring I can get an extra cruise in every year. But when I can afford it, I really like to do an aft-facing balcony. And this time, I could afford it. Aside from the aft-facing balcony it being a large, it is a larger balcony, right? It is generally a larger balcony. Um, and it really depends... If you really want to make sure you get the biggest balcony possible, you can do research and there's, you know, there's people who chart this stuff and say, well, on on you know level nine, uh, the, the balcony is 15 feet bigger than on level eight. Uh, I don't really go that far. I just, you know, want to be, for me, the big thing is looking out at the aft. I could sit and look at the wake and listen to the water all day long. So, you know, but it is, it's a little bit bigger, but the view is really the thing for me. Plenty of plugs and USBs. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, this one of the things I really liked about this was that they had um, USB ports next to the bed, and they had a nightlight, which I didn't discover until about three days in. <laughs> there was this really cool um, nightlight that sort of folded out of the the I guess sort of the headboard. And it was really convenient if you wanted to read in bed at night. I, like I okay. said, it was several days. I, this was one of those times when throughout the trip I kept discovering things that I hadn't discovered before, mm -hmm. whether it was, you know, places to eat on board or, in this case, where there was a little hidden light. So uh, very, very nice room, really well-appointed. Not quite, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have minded a little bit more color in the room, a little more, you know, kind of pizzazz uh it's not one of those older ships well ironically you know it may have been many years ago when it was the triumph but certainly now as the sunrise it's not got that joe farkas appeal of like you know bright neons and really splashy colorful carpets it's it's much more subdued than sort of the old school carnival ships were let's talk about the dining and we'll start in the main dining room what time dining did you have and how was your experience in there I did the late dining. I like to do late dining because um, I actually, and this was actually something you taught me. By doing late dining, you get to actually see the sunset and you don't have to worry about, you know, rushing to get to dinner or rushing to leave dinner, depending on what time the sun's going to set. Um, I find watching the sunset so peaceful, getting a cocktail and watching that. So I did late dining. I will say that. It was an absolutely fantastic experience. Um, I had, not too long before this, I had had an okay dining experience doing late dining on Royal's Anthem of the Seas. Uh, but it was a little bit of a hot mess. Uh, it didn't, it, it just, I don't know, it didn't really come together. Here, it, it worked like clockwork. They really did a great job serving. Had an amazing, amazing server who just kind of like read your mind and knew what you wanted. And there was no judgment when I ordered two lasagnas, <laughs> and which is important, you know? I don't want a waiter who's like looking down his nose at me because I'm ordering, you know, two lasagnas and two desserts, um, which I may have done once or twice. But it's it's also... I, this probably changes from cruise to cruise. You know, it might depend on what kind of mood the cook is in or whatever. But I will say that I would stack up the food that I had in the main dining room on Carnival Sunrise against the food I had in any main dining room on any cruise I've ever been on. And I'd even go so far as to say it was as good or better than some of the specialty restaurants I've eaten in over the years. It was wow. just they had a great selection and 
the highest compliment I can pay it is this. Um, two different nights I had the lasagna. Not because there wasn't a wide variety of, of options, but because it was just like the best lasagna I'd ever had. And it was so good that in the in the months since then, I came home and started actually making lasagnas in an attempt to recreate that lasagna, which I have not been able to do. <laughs> Outside of the main dining room, well, I guess inside of one of the main dining rooms, there's the chef's table. And I know you went in there. How was your experience? It was so cool. I had done the chef's table on Carnival Sunshine, um, which was, like I said, my only other real carnival experience. And it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. This took that and elevated it so far. Um, First, you went into the galley. And um, they try how to make you know the 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 famous dessert, uh, the melting chocolate lava cake or whatever it is. Uh, but then they also gave you like four or five different appetizers, and there was some <laughs> almost like culinary magic going on. Like there was a pillow that floated and rotated. Truth be told, I could not get my pillow to rotate. I could get it to float, but I could <laughs> not get it to rotate. And there was like just all these cool appetizers. And then you go into. Um, the actual dining room, and it's gorgeous. It's on Carnival Sunshine. The dining room for the uh, for the chef's table was sort of. It was. I think it was. A, I think it was part of the library that they just like you know at night closed down and turned into a a venue to do the chef's table. Here, this was a space that was specifically designed for this purpose. It's there was about twelve or fourteen of us in there. Mm-hmm. And the chef is there and he has um, um, there's there's actually a station behind him where he can do some of the cooking and the food. When I did the when I did the chef's table in the past, it was good food and it was I mean, it was excellent food, really. But this time they had incorporated a lot of like the kind of stuff you see on like Top Chef. There were like, you know ice and there was there was a a at one point they bring out this bowl and you whisk this this tiny little drop of mushroom that becomes the most flavorful thing you've ever experienced it was just it combined great food and cool culinary experiences and science and it was just it was awesome i cannot recommend the chef's table highly enough it was it was a really amazing experience Okay, and then of course, outside of the main dining room and chef's table, you have the buffet. How was the? What do they call it? The marketplace. Marketplace. Yeah, it was basically the same as you see on every other ship. If there was one thing that I would say about that, it's that the entrance into that area is terrible because right outside of it, you have like Guy's Burger Joint and the uh, the Blue Iguana Tequila or not Tequila, the Blue Iguana. Uh, uh, Mexican, you know, cantina, restaurant breaking. right? Yeah, yeah, the cantina, and and the way it's designed, it sort of creates this bottleneck, and it's just, it, it's really, you know, you always, whenever you do uh, uh, a show talking about ships, you talk a lot about passenger flow and stuff, and that was a spot that was just really terribly designed because they also put in some sort of barriers that you had to sort of squeeze between. It just, it just was terribly, terribly designed there, but. The, the the Lido Marketplace had a great selection of food. I'm not really a big buffet person, but I swung by a couple times and like grabbed lunch because I was in a hurry or whatever. It was it was decent. They also have that. Did you go to the noodle bowl place they have there? I did. I did one yeah. day. Um, I forgot. It's again. This is one of those things I discovered at the very end of the trip because 
while most of the buffet sort of mirrors each other on either side, the noodle bowl place is only on one side. And I must have always been entering from the other side because I never saw it until the end, or at least I never saw it when it was open because it's open limited hours. And uh, I finally did toward the end. And it was it was such a great addition to sort of it's part of the buffet, but it's a little bit separate from it. Mm -hmm. uh, It's it. They offer, I think, three different bowls every day and they sort of make them fresh when you order them. Really, really, really good experience. And it wouldn't be a cruise radio review if we didn't talk about Guy's Burger Joint. I think now, I will admit, sometimes I black out when it comes to food. Like, I eat so much of it that um, in much the same way an alcoholic passes out when they drink too much, I black out and forget some of the food that I've eaten so that I don't have to think about it when I get home. But I think I only went to Guy's once, if I'm not mistaken. It was wow. excellent, as it always is. But but I was trying, you know, it's also, this was also a, um, um, a more itinerary-packed, uh, or port intensive kind of cruise than I normally do. Normally my trips out of New York are just to like, you know, the Bahamas and, Mm -hmm. and Orlando, no big deal. This was much more intense than that. So I ended up eating more off of the ship. Uh, I ended up by the time I got back to the ship, it was like, well, I could go get a guy's burger or I could just wait and, you know, have dinner in an hour. So I tried to be pretty good. I think I only ate once, but of course it was amazing. Let's talk about the entertainment on board your seven-night cruise. What did you think of it? Uh, the, the show that I remember the most was Soulbound. Um, now, I I have mixed feelings about the whole playlist productions thing. Um, they are basically jukebox musicals. You know, there are a bunch of songs that are vaguely linked by some common theme, but they don't really have necessarily a story or anything. Um, I had a friend who had gone on this ship with her husband and kids, uh, like probably three or four weeks before I did, and she loved Soulbound. She raved about it and was like, my kids loved it. We saw it twice. You have to go see it. So I did, and it was good, and certainly the level of special effects and everything were incredible, but you know, maybe because I'm basically a New Yorker and I, you know, I do Broadway. So I expect, you know, I'm not saying it needs to be Hamilton, but I'd like to have a story of some sort. And there really wasn't, but it was very good and it was very fun. The other show they did, which I cannot remember the name of it, but it featured sort of a 1940s vibe. I, that one, I, I, I would say I pulled a Doug. I sat through about five, 10 minutes of it. And was like, no, 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 no. There's too many other interesting things for me to be doing to be (laughs) sitting through this. So I ditched it. I know you're a fan of the casino. How was that? The casino was was pretty good to me. I mean, I've you know I've I've had better luck in casinos, but I I came home with money, and that's always my rule. My rule is, if I take you know a certain amount of money, let's say five hundred dollars. And I come home with 200, then I won because they didn't get all of it. And I did come home with money. So, nice. so that was uh, very nice. I didn't find the smoke level to be terribly bad. You know, they, they did a pretty good job of, of keeping it from floating out into other areas and stuff. And it was a, it was a crowded sailing. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I, I thought the casino was, was pretty decent. How were sea days as far as crowds and congestion? Um, I, you know, I'm not a great person to ask that of, to be honest, because like most people, when it comes to the sea day, uh, they tend to go to say, you know, the pool and they hang out by the pool. And I did do that on the very last day. 
And weirdly, it was one of the few times I've ever gone and just like hung out by the pool and watched like, you know, the hairy chest contest or the, you know, dance till you drop or whatever. I had never really done that before on a cruise. And I really I had a pretty good time. I was I was I was drinking Miami Vices at the uh, at the tequila bar and and they they were playing some good music. So I was kind of grooving. But. Otherwise, I don't really notice on sea days the um, the flow of the ship because I tend to either plop myself down like at a, at a bar and talk to people, or maybe I'll hang out in my room and just hang out on the on the balcony and watch the day go by. So I don't really pay a huge amount of attention to um, how ships handle sea days, to be honest. All right. So basically, you just talked for two minutes and gave us nothing at all, but we'll just yeah, move on yeah, here. That's, I'm really well known for that. Yeah. So let's talk about the ports of call. What ports of call did you hit? And give us a highlight from each port. Well, we left New York City and we went to Portland. And uh, my highlight in Portland is always the same. They have just down the pier, um, there is an amazing place that I always go for whole belly clams, which are really hard to find anywhere outside of New England. And they are awesome. And so that was the highlight there. Although I did also take a trolley ride around the city that was really fun. And we had a really hysterical trolley drivers who made it a good time. So that was definitely the highlights in Portland. Um, I can never remember the order of things. So I think we went to Nova Scotia next. And there I went to Peggy's Cove. I'd heard a lot about it over the years, but never actually been um, in fact, the last time I did this itinerary, I almost, almost the entire time other than Portland for crabs or, or for, uh, uh, clams, I stayed on the ship because it was such a miserable rainy trip that I didn't want to go traipsing around mm-hmm. this time. I had great weather. So went out to Peggy's Cove and it was beautiful. Um, I would say if you're going to go to Peggy's Cove, get there as early as you possibly can, because, um, we got there early. We got to kind of explore before the crowds descended as we were leaving about an hour, an hour and a half later, it was a completely different environment. There were like, you know, 10,000 tourists and, and, you know, crawling over the rocks like, like, like crabs. And, and it was just a much different experience. So if you're going to go, go as early as you can. Uh, New Brunswick, I took a tour around the city. Um, just, I'd never been there uh, again. I'd been there, but I hadn't gotten off the ship. But this time I kind of like sort of soaked in the city and really got a feel for it and, kind of walked away saying I could live here. That was, that was a very cool city. Um, I can't really tell you necessarily that I did anything in particular there, but I just really got to enjoy the city, which is one of the things I like doing is walking around. Um, Boston, I did the Freedom Trail. I'd never done the Freedom Trail before. It's quite a walk. Uh, and I actually stopped at Cheers, which was kind of fun just to be able to walk in and, you know, Hey Norm. And, uh, (laughs) That was that was very very fun and uh, what else was there? I guess that brings us back to New York. So it was like I said, there was one, two, three. There were four ports on this seven day cruise, and that's a lot more than I normally do because I am a fan of sea days. I I love sea days. If you t- if you put me on a ship for seven days with no sea days, I'd be perfectly or with no ports, I'd be perfectly happy. But this was a really cool cruise and got to see a lot of different things. The problem with the Freedom Trail is that Cheers is on it way too early, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 
So it's... it really is. The other thing was, it was funny. Um, you know, the Freedom Trail sort of starts, depending on where you, where you started, but it starts in this park. And there was this guy there who was apparently a tour guide. And when he started talking to me, I thought he was going to be like shilling his tour, but he wasn't. He was like, oh, there's this restaurant you're going to come across. I don't remember the name of it. It started with a P. He's like, there's this restaurant you're going to come across and um, it's really good. I highly recommend it. And I was like, this guy probably gets paid by the restaurant, which for all I know, he does. But I will say it was a great recommendation. Had a really nice leisurely lunch. The restaurant wasn't packed. It was one of those cool restaurants that has, um, you know, you're sitting inside, but the, the the big windows are open. So you get the breeze from outside. So got some good Italian food in the Italian section of Boston. It was a good time. You make your way back to Manhattan or I guess Brooklyn. How was disembarkation there? Uh, disembarkation was good. Uh, I'm trying to think, I don't remember there being any real problems. It was, I will say this, it was much more organized than have been a lot of the disembarkations I've done in midtown Manhattan on, um, like the Norwegian breakaway class ships. Um, those ships, I find the disembarkation process to be borderline nightmarish and possibly dangerous. This Mm. was much more organized. Didn't take long to get off the ship at all. The hardest part was actually getting away from the, the terminal area because, um, there was a marathon going on a little ways away. So they weren't allowing cabs to come anywhere near there. You saw all these people standing there waiting for cabs or they would order a lift and it would say coming in like 45 minutes. I finally walked you know, like, I don't know how far, thank God I didn't have a huge amount of luggage. I walked quite a ways away in order to find a place where a lift could actually come and pick me up. Uh, so that was, that was actually the worst part of it. And again, that is not, that's not normal. You know, um, very little about the disembarkation or embarkation process was normal since it wasn't supposed to be at that port anyway. Sorry, there's a cruise ship outside my window here. It looks like Norwegian Jim heading out to sea to take on water. But anyway, so you make your way. uh, No, where are we? Any first time tips for Carnival Sunrise? Well, I would say, first of all, if you can avoid sailing out of Brooklyn, do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, it's, it's It's not that the Brooklyn Terminal is bad. It's not. It's just... Unless you happen to live in Brooklyn, it's not particularly convenient. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is maybe a little bit more organized than the Manhattan terminal that, that most people sail out of. But I don't know. I, I didn't love having to schlep to Brooklyn. So I guess avoid Brooklyn is my n- – n- nobody from Brooklyn write to me. It's not mm-hmm. I don't like Brooklyn. You make a perfectly fine logger. I just don't want to sail out of your terminal. Looking back, what was the biggest highlight of your cruise? You know – um, there were several, um, one for the very first time ever, I went to the arcade. I mm-hmm. had never been to the arcade, but I <laughs> remembered you talking about how they have a power hour where you can play like twice as many games yes. for half the money. And I said, okay, let's try it and had a blast. And, you know, I wasn't going to play enough that I was going to get all, do anything with all those tickets. So, um, I and several other people just made a pile of them and gave them to this kid who was really into, I don't know, whatever he was trying to win. Um, So that was fun. One of the other highlights was um, I'm a big fan of wandering around a ship and sort of finding spots where there's music playing at night. And one of my very favorites was every single night before dinner, um, I would go and I'd sit in the atrium and listen to, they had one of those electronic string quartets. And Mm. I just love that stuff i'm i'm a i'm a sucker for it so i i think i did that every night some nights i would go to the uh, alchemy bar my probably favorite bar at sea 
and grab a cocktail and bring it over to the lobby. But yeah, that was that was a real highlight. I mean, like when I look back on the trip, I literally remember sitting in the atrium looking at the elevators and listening to the string quartet. I want to throw in a bonus question here. What is one thing you really miss about cruising? Um, Exactly what I was just saying. Like for me, one of the highlights of cruising, like I said, I don't really care where the ship goes. I just want to be on a ship. And one of the things I really, really love is sitting at a bar, whether it's at the back of the ship or in the atrium or at the alchemy bar and talking to whether it's a bartender or the people who I happen to meet there or if you're traveling with friends. Um, and, and it's weird because I know you can do that on land. Like, you know, I mean, under normal circumstances, during normal times, you can go to a bar and you can meet strangers and you can talk to them. But it's just not the same to me. Uh, maybe because everybody's like in that vacation mode. Everybody's friendly. Uh, maybe it's because the drinks are better. I don't know. But <laughs> I really miss that desperately and can't wait to get back to it. And final thoughts of Carnival Sunrise. I would love to do it again. I absolutely, if I have one thing that I don't love about Carnival, and I do love Carnival, but if there's one thing I don't love, it's that they don't have any ships in New York year-round, so you really have very limited opportunities. And because they only have, you know, they, they do limited opportunities and limited ships, it also can be a little bit pricey because they know, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people in this area who want to get on those ships. And so they don't necessarily, you know, you're not going to necessarily find the great values that sometimes you can find on a Norwegian ship because Norwegian has two, sometimes three ships sailing out of here year round. So I, I would love, love, love to do Carnival uh, Sunrise again. Um, I don't see it on my immediate itinerary because, like I said, my next Carnival ship is Mardi Gras, which I'm really stoked for. But I'd do it in a heartbeat. Because, uh, Mart- uh, what was it, Mardi Gras? Because Mardi Gras was supposed to be up there originally, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. Um, it was originally going to come here, and I think they were going to do, they weren't going to do many sailings, but they were going to do a couple, mm. and I was booked on one. Uh, I've had that happen a couple times now, because, you know, um, Virgin was supposed to come here and have some parties here and do some events, and I was planning to go to those, and of course, they got canceled uh, Mardi Gras was supposed to come here and now it's not. So, um, I really need things to go back to normal. <laughs> right. I, you and I both have been talking with <laughs> Richard Sims about his seven night cruise to Canada, New England out of Brooklyn aboard Carnival Sunrise. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got here, buddy. Ba, 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 da, ba, da. Cruise radio is produced weekly in Jacksonville, Florida for partnership opportunities. Email Doug at cruiseradio.net. Hear Cruise Radio on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Google Play, or at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.